How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Hello. Thank you for going to the last show. Twires? I don't know. Hello. We appreciate you going to the Les Schwab. Les Schwab. Why it's can't like you Vive, say tires? Vive Clucot. It's the same Just thing. Just say tires. Uh, where, where did we pick up from? Hi, uh, everyone. You're listening to the Sinner and the Saint podcast. I'm Luke Anderson. I'm Will Darkins, well, and this is sponsored by Les Schwab Tires. Is that right? I think so. Okay. Yep. Enjoy. Doing the right thing since 1952. Luke Anderson, astronaut, a man barely interesting. I also uh, went to a school dance with a girl that watched Titanic, I think 17 times in the theater. It was a different time back then. Will Darkens, hot air balloon attendant, frightened by technology. There's HBO hot where it's like you watch it and you're like, wow, she's dangerous. I'm into that. We have the capability to build the 33rd best radio show in Portland. On Saturdays, about sports, the Sinner and the Saint will be that show. Better than they were before. Funnier. Sportsier. More Labradoodles. On 1080, The Fan. All right, we made it to hour two. If you missed anything from hour one, of course, you know the routine. Go on to 1080thefan.com, download the podcast, just click the on-demand button. It's really that easy. Um, So joining us right now, we've got Jim Wilson. Jim Wilson is uh, the voice of the uh, Oregon State Beavers. Uh, You do some football and baseball coverage for them. Don't be fooled by home electronics at the best price. Playing commercials now? That wasn't supposed to happen. Oh, really? Uh, so top notch producing Jim you played at Oregon State uh, both football and baseball you're a Hall of Fame member for both sports and you played some major league baseball but uh, the first question I want to get to is about your commentating for Oregon State football how much do you remember Will Darkins as a player Uh, Will Darkins he was in the Mike Riley era he came in as a linebacker from Lake Oswego, and I'm going to have him help me. He came in at the same time with another linebacker he had a a, a D name and and I always got those Gee. two guys confused. Uh, to, uh, the, maybe from Ah, uh, yes, David Pa'arugi. Darlin. Oh no. Uh, oh, Alan Darlin. Alan Darlin. Did you not come in the same time as Alan? No wait, Darlin? that was my brother. Oh, it's your uh, brother. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, Alan that, that clears that up. Yeah. So two Darkins. So you get making it confusing. All right. Well, that. Uh, and what was your brother's name? Andrew. Andrew. So it was, that's why it, it it got me. It was Andrew Dark and Andy Darlin. Yeah. Uh, so I I always got those two guys confused and uh, and so then when did when did you come in, Will? I came in in like oh seven oh eight oh eight oh seven oh eight. And yeah. you came in as a linebacker and then moved to fullback. Yes, uh, Jim. I was very good at linebacker. <laughs> I was, in fact, terrible at it. Eh, so good, moved. they moved you to fullback. So then they moved you to fullback, which is the designated. Let's get you. Let's get you on the field because we need someone to just throw at people. Yeah. So Jim has basically confirmed <laughs> all the stories that you've told about your college football career, which yeah. was very forgettable. Well, well, that's what we had to do. <laughs> we had to get Jim on to get a, just uh, the the 
the second opinion. Yeah, yeah, but it's confirmed that you confirmed. had a forgettable uh, Division One college football career. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so that works out well. Um, so, Jim, uh, part of the reason we had you on is uh, Beavers are starting spring practice this week, and we're going to see the Jonathan Smith era get started. Uh, for anybody out there that's a Beavers fan, a uh, very forgettable 2016-17 season, or, yeah, 2017-18 season. Uh, well, never mind. They didn't make it to 2018, did they? Um, so very forgettable last year. Uh, what was it like having to kind of go through the ups and downs with the Beavs last year? Last year was it, it was uh, unprecedented in a lot of ways, obviously. I, I, I don't know that a coach has ever left midseason. And I think that part really caught everybody off guard. It, to me, the the biggest takeaway, not the biggest takeaway, but the thing that just blew me away was how fast everybody just jumped off the bandwagon. It, the Beavers opened with Colorado State at Colorado State, and it was a, it was a tough a tougher game than I think people really understood. Colorado State was a good football team; they were experienced. They were coming off a very very good finish to their prior season, and they had a hot quarterback with one of the better receivers in the country, a physical line. It was going to be a tough game. Yeah. And so that game didn't go well. It, it, it was a good game at halftime. The Beavers kind of fell apart in the second half. But it was very, very hot that day, over 110 degrees on a field. And so everybody kind of, well, you know, good opponent and uh, those kind of things. But the second game <laughs> is literally when Beaver Nation, I think, jumped off in terms of uh, their fan base and the interest in the team. The, the Beavers hosted Portland State, and it was a game where Oregon State needed not only to win the game, they needed to win with style points just to win back uh, anything they'd lost in the opener. And they barely won the football game. They were yeah. lucky to get out of the game against Portland State with a win, and then Portland State goes on and, and to make matters worse, doesn't win a football <laughs> game. So that win even in itself, is is tainted. The next week, Minnesota came to town, and I think the only reason anybody showed up was to see P.J. Fleck on the other sideline. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it really, really fell. I mean, and it fell fast. After that second game, I, I think most of the fans were disengaged. And I, I'm not saying rightly or wrongly, because it, through game, two games, it had not looked good. But it was, uh, it was very, very uh, tough to look in the stands and just see how fast people jumped off. How angry were fans at Gary Anderson? Because as a former player, I tried to curb it because I understood the inner workings of what was going on in a football program. I knew that he wasn't doing a very good job, but at the same time, I knew how hard his job was. So I was just kind of like, yeah, he's just not doing great, but this is how seasons end up. Like, what did you see from fans, the kind of vitriol? Wow. It, it, and I think it started in game two. People yeah. started getting uh, <laughs> yes. you know, like, what in the world? I mean, the, the flop and the, the Minnesota game was very similar to the Colorado State game and that it was a good game at halftime. And then I, I think Minnesota ran off 28 unanswered points in the second half. And it's like, well, wait a second. The team plays hard for a half and then they just disappear. And then I think that became a bit of the the dialogue and then it started shifting to well what what's in the water what people yes. after game three started asking what's in the water something's not right here uh it, because the beavers have better players than portland state they may not have better players than uh colorado state in terms of the pieces that colorado state state had already the beavers were auditioning a new quarterback colorado state had a veteran uh minnesota 
Beavers may or may not be as physical as Minnesota. But you know, the one thing you knew is Oregon State had better players than, than Portland State, and Portland State outplayed them. And I think that's when people start, okay, so what's, you know, what's going on? And then the next few weeks it all unraveled. Something is, in fact, going on, and it's behind the scenes. And then people started uncovering the layers, and it just started getting deeper and deeper. Three weeks later, uh, when he stepped out, I think people were in some ways relieved and not disappointed. I mean, some were, you know, quitter and this and that. But I think some folks were, I think a pretty good percentage were almost relieved. Wow. It, it finally happened. I mean, we had just been taken down this path, but there was so much confusion about it. Now there's clarity. We're going to start over. That's an interesting angle. Uh, for anyone just joining the program, we're talking with uh, Jim Wilson. He's uh, one of the uh, color guys for the Oregon State Beavers, former player, also uh, covers some baseball and played in the major leagues. Um, now that you've, like you said, clarity is something that I didn't really see, and I'm an outsider, and I'll admit that, and I know that Will was trying to curb it a little bit, but... I'll ask both of you this question. I mean, the Jonathan Smith era, I think, is a lot of unknown. But bringing Mike Riley back, does that bring a sense of calm back to Beaver Nation, even though he's not in the head coaching role? That scares me. I know. Yeah. It's scary, man. And you played for him. Well, because I know that guy. And I know he's, uh, you know, as nice as he is, he's he's kind of a control freak in a way because he's a head football coach. They're all control freaks. I I think that's that's. My only issue is, does he realize that Jonathan Smith is the head coach and all his role is, is to be the tight ends guy and to be a sounding board. But I I actually like the hire and I like the hire because, and I don't know that you're saying you don't like the hire. I think you're saying that it scares you. (laughs) It scares me and I'm a a little, because the tight ends position, if you're a tight ends coach, you're obviously either a rookie or you're coming on because you like, there's something you have another job yeah right? like you want to get involved like you just yeah. want to do something i feel like tight ends coach is always that stepping stone yeah. and so when they said right. he was going to do that i go oh, okay that, i feel a little bit better but then i heard stories about recruitment where they would bring riley during recruiting trips with jonathan smith and i was like no dude you can't have that guy in a room like he's going to take over the room really quick and jonathan smith's going to disappear well, good guy. Just there's a there's a new uh, definition for that tight ends coach, and it's it's almost akin to in baseball the bench coach. You remember Don Zimmer used to just sure. sit next to the manager, yeah. And his job was baseball is so frustrating. It is in, almost incredibly difficult and impossible to watch because you never. You, you, you never lose. You, you never lose a game, or the the other team never beats you. You lose the game. That's how baseball works. It's so frustrating. A, a perfect game has never been played, even when a perfect game was thrown. It was. Uh, it's impossible to do that sport correctly or or uh, perfectly. And so that becomes very frustrating. So Don Zimmer's job is to sit there and listen to Joe Torre vent so that Joe Torre doesn't vent to the players. It, I mean, that's what the role of the bench coach is. He's that salty veteran. He's seen it all and maybe even can tell a joke or two. But his role is not – he never even coaches the guys. He just has – he's the right-hand man of the skipper. And to me, in in a way, I think that's what Mike Riley is to Jonathan Smith. Jonathan, Jonathan Smith's a first-year head coach. What better way – to jump into a situation like that and to have your mentor, basically, your coach, the guy you respect almost more than anybody else, and then you take all of Mike Riley's wisdom, just take his Rolodex. He can, he has, he can open up and he can call, he has avenues to get to people that 
Jonathan Smith could only hope for to build in years of, of coaching. So, and for all those reasons, I, I think Mike Riley is a perfect hire for Jonathan Smith. For Jonathan Smith. Now, if it would have been, say, the uh, the guy at Cornwall. Cal, say the guy at Cal, Bo, Bo Baldwin, Bo Baldwin, say Bo okay, Baldwin yeah. gets a job. Well, Mike Riley is not a candidate to be an assistant coach no. and a tight end for Bo Baldwin. No way. In fact, maybe Jeff Tedford or somebody like that. <laughs> yeah. okay, if, oh, if, don't get Jeff. In here. No, no, <laughs> I I'm saying Jeff Ted, anywhere. But, but near somebody my that program. he has experience, with. somebody yes. that he has ties to. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I like the hire. I think it's going to be good for Oregon State, and I agree with you that there, if there's a concern. It would be, does does Mike Riley impose too much of his own will on on the situation? But I think Jonathan's strong enough and understands that. So I, I like it. Well, it, we'll see what happens. Uh, the nice thing is you're you're starting from a position where you cannot possibly have a worse season than you had last year. So that's good news for the Beavers. Um, there's been some strange goings on at the beginning of the baseball season. There's another Babe Ruth. We've got some unwritten rules being broken, some other odd things to the start. We'll talk to Jim Wilson, who played in Major Leagues uh, for a handful of years, and we'll get his thoughts on those and more when we return. Center and Saint, 1080 The Fan. For anybody that uh, is wondering, yes, Will is dancing with this song. Jim, you remember where you were when you heard this first time? About five seconds ago. <laughs> five seconds ago? Yeah. <laughs> You've never heard this? I'm sure I have. But he's, like, you, he's like most people. He heard it and then he forgot it like you're supposed to. I'm imagining Jim was at the Peacock first time he heard this and he goes, what's this? Yeah. Um, Jim might have Wilson. been in the Peacock. Uh, I can't remember all the music that was played, though. <laughs> Top of the cock? <laughs> I'm what in there. Is this a Oregon State thing that I yeah. should, should know about? Yeah, it's a Corvallis thing. I think we're going back. Yeah. No, no. Peacock is, uh, that was the spot. That was the happening spot. You had karaoke downstairs, nice lounge area, but then up top is what they call the top of the cock. Okay. And you just party. Woo! Party your buns off. Sounds like a party. Uh, Jim Wilson sitting in with us, uh, former Oregon State great in both football and baseball. Uh, Jim and I were actually looking it up online, baseballalmanac.com, trying to figure out exactly who was drafted uh, around him because we had you on the show a couple years ago and we were kind of reminiscing about uh, old baseball stories. Um, But here it is right here, the 82 draft, 39th pick to the San Francisco Giants outfielder Barry Bonds. How'd that work out? Out of Juniper. uh, Actually, Pittsburgh Pirates, though. Well, no. So this was out of high school, and I don't know. uh, Oh, that's right, because he didn't sign. He didn't sign. So he did not sign. He goes to Arizona State. All right. I I got you. So, But Barry Bonds was drafted 39th. Jim Wilson drafted 40th. Um, And then we go down here, a couple names you'll recognize. Drafted at 50 and 51. Bo Jackson, Barry Larkin. Uh, so drafted ahead of some players that ended up being Hall of Famers and Bo Jackson, one of the greatest athletes of all time. Uh, but you were saying, it was it your fourth game with the Cleveland Indians that you had that wrist injury? Yeah, in the major leagues, I am in my fourth game. I had a eh, kind of a career-ending type injury. It was a wrist injury. Play at first base. Neil Heaton threw a 2-2 changeup to Gary Gaetti. He kind of got out in front, rolled over. Hits a ball into the six hole to Julio Franco, who comes up and throws up the line. Uh, I tried to reach behind, in behind Gary uh, Gaetti, but he, I didn't account for the fact that he might dip his shoulder in there. And so my left wrist really forcefully into his left shoulder. 
and my glove popped out into short right field and Pat Corrales came out and asked me, you know, how, how you feel? And I just said, I'm out of the game. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll work the rest of it out later. And then you never made it back up with the Indians? I never made it back with the Indians. I did make it back, what would that be, four years later with uh, the Seattle Mariners. And yep. then I, I, I sort of propelled uh, or took a lateral turn. I went to uh, Japan for yeah. a year. And, uh, I was you mean you made an improvement. <laughs> yeah, well, I got paid better. I think was the biggest thing, uh, and then um, and I bounced around a little bit and finished uh, in '95 uh, was my the strike yeah. year. Okay, and and so right now one of the big stories in Major League Baseball is this guy from Japan, 23 year old Shohei Otani, has three home runs in his last three games. He has a second start of the season tomorrow. He looked good in his first outing for the Angels. One of the things that a lot of people were kind of curious about, because he's supposed to be the next Babe Ruth or the Babe Ruth of Japan, whatever you want to call him. Well, he's come over so far uh, after a terrible spring. He's looked good. But the comparison between American baseball in the major leagues or AAA, they say that Japanese level is somewhere in between those two. Is it closer to the major leagues or closer to AAA when you were there? I would say it's closer to the major leagues. Yeah. And, in fact, I would argue that the pitching, straight pitching, is as good as the major leagues. It's just different. They, uh, But they are very good. The, the pitching to me, there was when I was over there, I would say the Tokyo Giants pitching staff was as good a pitching staff as, as I'd ever seen in terms of each guy 10 deep. And they, they just throw differently. I mean, I, I remember playing in a game where – yeah, the pitcher is a very good guy. Uh, I think we we're playing the Lote uh, Orions, and I'm um, I'm batting in the seventh inning. I think I'm one for two at the time. The guy's throwing nothing but fastball, slider, change, and I got a full count in the seventh inning, and he throws me a forkball. <laughs> he threw one forkball that day. Yeah. And it was a full. <laughs> of course, I waved at it, and the guy, you know, what what was the pass? It was a forkball. <laughs> I mean, there you go. I mean, it just it's so unpredictable, and they will never give in. I mean, you get in a game, it's six to nothing. It's the ninth inning, and it's a two zero count. I mean, you're, you're going to probably see something to hit. I don't care if you are Barry Bonds or yeah. Bo Jackson or Barry Larkin, but uh, in, in Japan, never, yeah. never. What was your favorite experience been. being in Japan besides playing? Um, I mean, did you have anything? Because I mean, that's a culture shock, isn't it? Like, I, I think the the thing I liked the most is is that uh, my wife was there, and and we we didn't have any kids, and we were able to when I was away from the field uh, to just experience Japan. And sometimes the the best way to to take in any culture is to live there a while, not not just you you travel for a week and you, you go here, you go there, and you know you get a piece, you get a slice. Yeah. But when you live somewhere. You get you get an idea, and we were there for probably six months, and each we were able just to get out and just live in Japan. Yeah, and uh, I think those were the times that I liked the most. I, I actually did not like the time at the field, and the media was so. I mean, when I say media, uh, uh, TV things like that, there was no TV. There was nothing that you, to watch. Oh yeah! Uh, oh so right, because everything's in Japanese. Yeah, everything, everything. <laughs> there was like maybe one channel, the the uh, Armed Forces channel or something like that, and programming on oh, that. Yeah. So I was having my folks were sending like videotapes of the Portland Trailblazers played in the championship that year. I think with early nineties, Chicago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 Chicago. Yep. 
And I, so I did a whole tape, whole videotape of that. And they just, they just like tape a four hours straight of whatever channel. Just, just even I, watching the commercials yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I send it, just send it. Just send it. So wait, at that time, did they have uh, American actors or celebrities in Japan that were like copying stuff that then they would have dubbed over uh, Japanese voices? Because no, they, not really. No, because no. they do that now where they have like actors. The big blockbusters. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Voices, yeah. Yeah, no. And this was back in 1990, so we're talking about uh, a while ago. But the, the entertainment for... Uh, American speaking yeah. folks, English speaking was very, very limited. That part was was very difficult. Sure, I can understand that. We're talking with Jim Wilson, the uh, 40th draft pick in the 1982 Major League Baseball draft out of Oregon State. I, I will add something, Luke, on in terms of just to give you an idea what baseball in Japan was like. The movie of uh, the Tom, uh, Tom Mr. Stella, Baseball, Mr. Baseball. Yeah. I thought depicted. Japanese baseball, as well as any baseball movie that I've I've seen in terms, of, I mean, the, any any of the baseball movies in that whole genre, but but uh, Mr. Baseball really, really, I thought encapsulated what Japanese baseball was like. Okay, it's interesting. Yeah, I have to go back and watch that because it always sneaks up. We'll occasionally do best baseball movies. Somebody always throws it in there, but I remember watching it once and then never again. But it was I was probably I don't know twelve years old when I watched it. I'm gonna would go that, back. And- would that movie be more memorable if Tom Selleck wasn't in it? I don't. I th- th- here's the thing about Tom Selleck is he's forgettable, but he's very good. Yeah, you know what I mean? He, like, he doesn't ruin a movie. You're not like, oh, that was terrible. Tom Selleck was like, yeah, it was pretty good. It was well, Tom Selleck. Yeah, but he's like celebrity cockroach. He will never die. You know, Tom Selleck is on three different shows on CBS right now. Right? <laughs> is he on Blue every, Bloods? Every, every show on CBS. Blue Bloods. He's on another uh, CSI show. And then I think they're trying to bring back Miami Vice. No, or Magnum PI. I'm How sorry. How dare you? You did you now, just that was say good, though, that right? Tom Selleck was? I mean, Magnum PI was good. I thought. Yeah. I I stayed with it a little bit. And you get all that chest hair in it. I mean, yeah. what else do you want from a TV show? I had a cool cat living in Hawaii. Yeah. I mean, and then the helicopter buzzing around. No, listen, there's nothing. But to think that it was Miami Vice, I mean, that's unforgivable. Well, what? That's what the 80s was, right? If you had chest hair, <laughs> you were a cool guy. Yeah, well, yeah. That what, was the look. What was the lineup? Was it Chips and uh, Chips? Magnum PI, Magnum Hawaii Five O, Miami Vice? Now, wait, why the hell was Chips so appealing? Why did people like Chips? Have you ever seen Eric Estrada in motorcycle bike pants? Come on. Is that Jim? That's probably watch? why I didn't like it as much. Yeah. I, I wasn't. Uh, you were 18 not a fan. Guy? Not a fan of the of the chips. I stayed away from it. Yeah, I know. I always thought it'd be fun to have uh, like the bumbling Oregon Highway Patrol have a show like that and call it Oops. Or the Washington Highway Patrol. They did the special episode where Oops and Whoops. Oops. Whoops. Oops and Whoops work together. They come down to help out the chips. You know what chips was famous for? Was thought free, about that. freeze frame. Oh, yeah. Freeze frame at the end. Chips would always end with them. Didn't a lot of shows do that back then? Well, but Chips made it famous where they would all have a beer at the end or they'd all be in the hospital room and there'd be a dog there or something and they'd all laugh at a joke and then it would freeze. And Charlie's then they, Angels did that, I thought, on the lead. Charlie's oh, Angels did go. that. And the lead, though. All right. We may have gotten slightly off topic. We didn't. What were we, ta- we, were, talking we were talking about? We were talking about Tom Selleck. I, yeah. I, Selleck, no. baseball in China, and then that goes I know how TV we got show. there. That's fine. Here's like all, you didn't. Here's all I'm saying. I would like to get to unwritten rules of baseball because I think it's something that Will, as somebody that hates baseball, will love to talk well, about. Well, can we also talk about spring ball? Yeah, I want we'll Jim's do, opinion yes, on spring ball. We'll do both of those. We'll do things that Will hates after the news. When you're, when you're ready. The what? After the news. 
All right, welcome to a new segment that I think we're going to have to start doing more often. Things Will Darkens Hate. Um, but I'm going to set this up with something not... Yes, you hate baseball. I don't hate baseball. Yes, you... Okay. This is what you hate about baseball, and tell me if I'm wrong. But Please. this happened uh, the other night. Uh, Twins Orioles uh, played the other night. They get into the ninth inning, and the Twins uh, are being... They're... Oh, let's see. I'll just read it, and then we don't have to worry about it. Okay, so the Twins were upset when the Orioles catcher, Chance Sisko, bunted for a single against the ninth inning game against the Twins where they led 7-0. The Twins were uh, going for a one-hit shutout when Sisko decided that he was going to bunt. So this is an Orioles player bunting against the shift. So the Twins have the the lead. Catcher comes up to bat, and they decide to shift the infield. So they have no one on the left side of the infield. So left-handed, pull hitter. And so they decide to leave the third baseline wide open. So, the, of course, the way to beat the shift is to bunt against it. But the Twins had a 7 nothing lead, and they come out in the postgame and go, unwritten rules of baseball, you don't do this. This is not something you do. The guy's response is, then don't shift. Well, they said don't unwritten rules of baseball. If he has a one hitter, let him get it. A one hitter. What does that matter? Again, this is what you hate about baseball. So I'll go. uh, So I just want to get, since we have somebody that played in the major leagues, we have somebody that, you know, spent a career playing baseball. Jim, a one hitter. (laughs) Does that matter? Uh, uh, Only to the guys throwing it. And, and, And the thing is about that. Yes. There, there's something 14, nothing. 15 nothing, 7 nothing. Are you saying that you cannot win the game? They cannot the game is over. All that all that matters now is you get your one hitter, the game is over. Now if if you'll sort of write a little disclaimer, we cannot win the game. No matter what, the game's over, you win. All right, we'll we'll swing away then. Because you're, what you're saying is poor me, look at you. Yeah. And, and it's I I don't like it. I remember Pat Dye was an old coach at Auburn. Uh, 25 years ago, there was a bowl game and the score was 17 to 14 and there was one play left, two seconds on the clock. And before that play, there was a 15 yard penalty. They went from the eight yard line out to the 23 yard line. And so he said, we're going to kick the field goal and take the tie because yeah, I mean, the choice was one play from the 23 yard line. Yeah. And uh, they asked him afterward, why didn't you go for it? And he said, because we're at the 23-yard line. I liked our chances better of, of taking the tie. I think a tie is our, our kids played hard. They 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 played too hard to lose. We're, we're willing to accept a tie at that point because we're at the 23-yard line with one play. The other team was saying, well, you know, the, uh, the you, you should have gone for it. Nobody takes ties. It was a bowl game. Nobody takes a tie in a bowl game, blah, blah, blah. And Pat Dye said, well, then they should have blocked a kick. <laughs> and, and so that that's the way I feel. I mean, if you're going to shift, then live with it. Yeah. What yes. if you shift and he just rips a ball right into the shift and forget it? And that's what I don't get either yeah. is that they did this. And it's like you're saying, it's it's so susceptible to just bunt and it's over. It's like, well, then don't shift. Just yeah. keep doing what the hell you're doing. Yeah. What? Why? Why? This is why Stupid. baseball bothers me so much. 
It's it's all of the little nuance that goes into it well, that, that makes it rules. fun. Well, no, but the nuance to me makes it fun. The problem is when people complain because you take clear advantage of, of what the other team gives you. So I, I think we all agree that this is a ridiculous situation. Why do you hate spring football so much? Because it doesn't matter. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. What, what is your opinion on this, Jay? Because at least from, from a player's perspective, it just doesn't matter. If you're at a place where you feel comfortable, I the only time it ever matters, I would say, is if you're on the cusp of mattering when it comes to fall camp. If you're just coming out of your redshirt year and you haven't quite fit into a mold yet, it matters. If you've come out of your redshirt year and you've already shown that you're probably going to be a guy who contributes pretty quickly, spring ball just doesn't matter to you. It's a time to work out and remember how to play football again. And so whenever people get really pumped up about spring ball and the position battles and everything, it's like, no, dude, there's no position battles. Like everybody's pretty much set. It's actually the third and fourth string that are really battling for what's going on. I'm going to agree with about half of that and, and uh, offer a different point of view on the other half. I, as a player, hated spring football. Yes. And it you, is, played, you played it offensive work, line, Jim? It is work without a reward. There's no game. No. And so all you are doing is practicing and working at your craft. There's no reward at the end of the week. And Jim, real that, quick, you played offensive line. I was an offensive yeah. lineman. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, fortunately, I didn't always have to. I only played one spring of football. Then I, I played baseball as well. Cool. So I Lucky was able you. To, Wait, yeah. did you play baseball because you've experienced spring football and you go, I'm not doing this. This is uh, awful. I guess I'll go try this baseball. Yeah. No, it was, it was the opposite. Said. My freshman year, I was... Uh, penalized for not hitting well enough they sent me over to play <laughs> spring football but here's the thing new coach now every position is theoretically open now i know co that's coach speak but in some ways it is true because a new staff comes in for them they'll say we're trying to go with a clean slate now is it a completely clean slate absolutely not i mean some guys have they're just their resume speaks for itself but for the majority of those guys, this is their chance to have a first impression on a coaching staff, on an entirely new coaching staff, heading into the fall. And you don't want to go into the fall as a backup. You, you want to go in there. You want to be, when they run out the fir, the ones that first day of the fall, you want to be on that group because you, you only have three weeks to change that. Whereas you have all spring and all winter to deal with it now but if you come in and you come in the fall, you did not win a spot, you come in, the other guy gets a first chance. And I always say you want to be on the opening day lineup because then you have – I could go off all year and never lose my spot. I, if I'm behind you on opening day, I got to wait for you to, to do what you're going to do. So this is an important time for those kids with a new staff. And there is – I've never seen a spring where there it literally is – a ton of openings. I mean, you yes. got a one in eleven team. There weren't that many stars last year. No, and so Wait, there is there a lot stars? of positions. There's going to be people moved around. This is a really critical spring for a whole lot of kids, and I think most important uh, for the staff. And then the last thing I'll say is, spring football is great now because it's sort of washing the mouth of the last year. I mean, this is our first chance to get something else, something new, something different. And put last year behind us. Yes. Talking with Jim Wilson in the new segment, Things Will Darkens Hates. I don't know if this should be a new segment. <laughs> I think it's great. It's very negative. Well, yes, but this is who you are as a person. If anybody wants to get to know you better, this is who you are. I don't know about that. 
Why do you hate Tiger Woods so much, Will? I don't hate Tiger Woods, actually. I hate the response <laughs> to media. The, res- uh, the media's response to Tiger Woods. I just feel like... So, Jim, there's this headline that was... Um, here, let me pull this up. This was... Because this... I, I found this absolutely ridiculous. There was a headline that came out uh, on ESPN, I think, last night, uh, talking about the Masters and Tiger Woods' spot in it. It says, Tiger Woods shoots three over 75 in round two. Trails Patrick Reed by 13 shots. Why do I need to know that he trails Patrick Reed by 13 shots? I get the reason because you're saying, hey, that's how far away he is from winning this thing. But can we all just assume that there was no way in hell Tiger Woods actually had a chance of winning? <laughs> it's always this, putting his position on the leaderboard. Yeah, if, right. you, if, if they said he was tied for eighth, Will, then you wouldn't know but, what but that like really means. Like, or Tiger makes the cut. The first question yeah. people would have, does he have a chance to win? But it's like if he's two shots out of the lead, then I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to know that. That's important. 13 shots out of the lead. I don't really care at that point. But you that, could just put after that, Tiger Woods disappoints. That's it. Well, it, it, it also doesn't really give you an idea how the Masters going because there's yeah. 39 positions between that leader and Tiger Woods. Tiger's at 41st, and uh, so uh, it, conveniently, 39 names were, were left out of that. But the one name, and they don't even care who the leader is. They got Tiger Woods into the headline. And, and I think, for me, when I watch, I watch golf about once a year, and we're in that window right now. And I want to know, did Tiger make the cut? That's all I want to know. Do I expect Tiger to win? Absolutely not. I think that's baby steps. Now, baby steps. But, but, but I want what Tiger. What you about Tiger? I want Tiger in the in the. You just want. I to want see, him to make the cut. Do you want to see Tiger do better? Like, do you, you want to see him succeed again? Because I feel like there's... I don't whole... want to see him ever get back where he was. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. <laughs> I want him in, though. I like it when Tiger's in it. Huh. I just do. I I, I don't... Because I think there is that collective feeling of people like you want to see Tiger in it because it creates excitement. But at the same time, you don't want to see him back there because of X reason. What What's that reason, Will? I think it's the reason of he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> And like we all realized, yeah. Like we all figured out, like, oh yeah, Tiger Woods is kind of a not great person. Well, what? he certainly made some mistakes in his personal life. Yes. I, my, it wouldn't bother me if Tiger Woods came out of nowhere and won a tournament. Yeah, just, but that yes. guy can't come out of nowhere yes. for anything. Just came in and just won a tournament. It's like, wow, <laughs> cool. Yeah, because he, but and he is. I mean, he was so special for so long, and he is what made golf, according to folks. Uh, he elevates the sport and so forth. And I get it. I, I like him. I, I like when he's in there. I do. Well, <laughs> see, here's here's my thing with Tiger is that Tiger Woods fell off. He didn't get beat. His spot. He never had that kind of. All right, Tiger Woods is great. Then he's good. Then he's okay. And somebody came up and supplanted him. He he left, and now you have this rush of young golfers. You have Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy, which Dustin by the way, Johnson, they're tied for fourth right now. Yes, which, which I more, think is the bigger story sure. than anything else. But but what I wanted the reason I want to see Tiger get back in contention in these tournaments is I want to see one of those guys beat Tiger Woods cuz Tiger's part of his mystique was he would intimidate the guys that he played against. And and you can't really remember the names of the guys that he knocked off, the David Duvalls and the Ernie Els and and Phil Mickelson like 
there, there's so many tournaments where it was Rocco Mediate, and it was these guys that went up and played. But right now you've got these young guys that came up. There was nobody that was really ever at Tiger's level, but you've got all these guys that are competing for the top spot in golf that Dustin Johnson You want right to see now. a passing I, of the guard. That's I, what you that's what, You're exactly right. Yes, that's, you that's want, what I want to see. You want to see the whole thing that pretty much was, um, I, I, I guess, what would be, like in basketball, that that's kind of like what it was with uh, LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, I felt like, yeah. at a certain point, where like Kobe Bryant was dominant all through the 2000s, or I guess early 2000s, kind of heading into the late. And then like once LeBron had that 07 game against Detroit, you kind of felt like it was the passing, like, oh, now LeBron's going to take over. Yeah. yeah. And so you feel like that? You just want somebody? Because I feel like Tiger's so irrelevant. The last time he was relevant was what? He was no- world number one like in 2012. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah. I, I think with my deal with Tiger, it, it, if he does well again, it'd be a resurgence. It'd be like the, the Titanic has resurfaced mm-hmm. in terms of that's the storyline that, that I'm, I guess, looking for. But, you like. he, but, he, does, he, but does it resurface can, and become a, a just another boat or does it resurface? And <laughs> that's what, I mean, he that's was what so we're waiting dominant. to, that's yeah. what we're waiting to see. To hey, yeah. What happened under the ocean there and how did... <laughs> How is this going to work? But I think that's what I'm looking for. He was such a such an icon in the sport, and then now can he make it back? And if he does, how far does does he make it back? All those things. Of course, I, I've told Luke about my golf, so <laughs> I am a such a loose uh, observer of the sport. He retired from golf. I'm a retired golfer. Hey, you're a smart man. Jim. <laughs> smart man. All right. So, uh, let's make some predictions. What happens with tiger? Uh, what happens with the upcoming beeves, uh, football season? How do they finish in the baseball thing? We'll, uh, use Jim's brain and we'll, uh, we'll take a look at our crystal balls next. You're listening to the center and the saint on 1080, the fan. Oh, kids final segment of the show uh big thanks to jim wilson who's still sitting in with us uh for the second hour of the show it's been fun to talk to him get a perspective of a former major leaguer and uh a big name at oregon state and how much fun are you having uh being a broadcast partner for your alma mater i I absolutely love it it's uh it's one of those deals where i i love football i i really really love watching football I, it's i think it's a perfect entertainment sport it's it's uh, it's my favorite thing to do uh, on weekends and and so I, and i love stadiums i love being around the game i love the pageantry and i get all of those things and then plus it's my my university my uh, alma mater so it, it ties so many things that i really really like and, and it's just put me in tune with some some great people i i i I'm a teacher by day, and then in the in the weekend, I have like another life, and I meet people uh, around the university that have roles with the sports uh, athletic department, and I I just have this ability to to be around those people. I I just I love it. Yeah, and you kind of you kind of got the job. You weren't expecting to get it when you uh, auditioned uh, for for the yeah. color commentary position. If well, it was an interesting deal. Uh, Bob Grimm had done it. To, uh, was my predecessor. He was on for I think seventeen years, and he uh, decided to do something I think more um, national based. And um, I don't think they really knew exactly what was going to happen. I just saw that it was open, and and I thought Steve Priest, who at the time was doing some TV stuff, I thought he might be, but he was doing TV, and so he was content with that. And um, it got sort of thrown open, and I I just kind of threw my hat in the ring and 
um, somehow uh, uh, got the job and have just enjoyed every moment since. Yeah, well, accidentally getting jobs is a theme around here. That's how I got it. Was <laughs> That's how I got my job. The too. contest my brother wanted to do, you started as an intern, Will. Yeah, and then you just accidentally get your job and you think it's all fame and fortune. Yeah. Some fame. Fortune, though, not. Yeah. <laughs> not, well, yeah, not yet. No, I'm, I'm in the same league there. Yeah, yeah. that's not, fun. Not yet, guys. We're all we're all ascending together. And if we get all of these picks right in the Crystal Ball sure. segment, I'm sure that ESPN oh, yeah. and Fox Radio will be calling sure. us up. So let's yeah. go ahead and take a look ahead and see if we can make some picks here. Um, we'll start with you, Jim, and uh, I, I'm going to leave this one just to you because I don't think Will and I are going to have enough of a foundation of knowledge. But what do you expect from the Oregon State Beavers baseball team this year? Oh, I, I think that they, Ooh, if you would ask me a week ago, I would have said you're looking at, you're talking about a, a college world series team right now. They have some things they need to iron out, but I think they will. I think they will find their, their way back to Omaha. And then once you get to Omaha, everybody just, you start over and you, you get your one and eight and you have a, you know, one of eight and you have a chance to, to win a national championship. They have some things they need to sort out, but it's a team that went 56-6 and six last year, yeah. and their entire lineup, the, the regular guys, are back. They lost one guy, a bat, and that bat is being replaced by several bats. Their offense, their everyday lineup, I think will carry them to uh, 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 at least a regional. They'll host a regional. They'll probably host a super regional, and I think they're going to make it back to Omaha. And it's always fun to see like Michael Conforto playing in the bigs and chicks dig the long ball. Who's the who's the big stick that we need to keep an eye out for uh, the future for at Oregon State? Well, there's what there, will you're you're saying something? There's there's three guys. Let me ask you, uh, tre, uh, tre, <laughs> Trevor Larnick is uh, right now. He has eight home runs and thirty seven RBIs. And I think if you extrapolate that to a full season, you're talking about a sixteen home run, uh, seventy RBI season, which would be just incredible. Um, Nick Madrigal's hurt right now. When he comes back, he's he's the best player in college baseball is the moniker they're using on him, and there's no reason to disagree with that. He was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. He was the Pac-12 Player of the Year. He hit 360 last year. He's a hit machine on offense. He's an energizer bunny for the team. When he comes back, I think that – I mean, the Beavers are 24-4 and four without him. Yeah. <laughs> they're not 24-4 and four without him, but he. I think he got hurt in the sixth game, we'll say. Okay. But um, – and then Adley Rutschman uh, out of uh, uh, McMinnville is just having absolutely, not at McMinnville, uh, Sherwood High School, is having an absolutely incredible sophomore season. He's probably one of the top catchers in the country and a switch hitter. Uh, those are the three guys. All right. Now, Will, if you're still awake, how many wins for the Beavers football team this coming year? Of course I'm still friggin' awake. Look at me. <laughs> how many wins? Hopefully yeah. six. Hopefully six. But I said that last year, too. But I was so jaded because you just looked at the win in the Civil War and you go, okay, yeah, I could hope for six. I don't know. My expectations sit at four. Okay. I say four realistically because you look at the schedule and there are realistically four wins on there. But with a guy like Jonathan Smith, you never know. He's a great offensive mind. Obviously, he's been under Chris Peterson. You guys see how the culture sits. This is one culture that is way different than what Gary Anderson was doing, yeah. which I don't know if there was a culture that existed with Gary Anderson, at least not in the final year. All right, Jim, four wins, more or less. Well, I'm going to just go back to where Will left off. Coming into last year, I thought Gary Anderson and the Beavers were trending in the right direction. He had uh, four wins in his sophomore year, and in that 
three of those were Pac-12 wins, and one of them was a Civil War win. I thought Oregon State was going in the right direction. Now Jonathan Smith is starting from ground zero. I am not going to say wins and losses. I am going to say I think everything about Oregon State football is better this year. They play harder. They play smarter. They're more efficient. They're better coached. All those things, I'm really excited about that. You break down the schedule. I mean, I think after one game, they'll be 0 and 1. They, they, they're opening up oh, at Ohio no. State. Uh, what, at Buckeye you don't see Stadium? upset at Buckeye. Yeah. But after three games, they darn well better be 2 and 1. Yeah, they better be at least better. Well, 2 and 1, because Southern Utah at home, I think you just have to win it. You just will yourself to that one. And then at Nevada. That is an interesting game. Now, you, you got to figure Pac 12 team going to Nevada. You. But it's the first year of the program. Quarterback still undetermined. I think after three games, you got to be two and one. I think you're going to be excited, Beavers. I'm saying at least one Pac-12 victory. Congratulations. That'll be uh, quite the season if you can do that. Uh, shaking your head a little bit there, Will. Uh, big thanks to Jim Wilson for sitting in with us for the last hour. If you missed anything, of course, go to 1080thefan.com. Get the podcast. Uh, always a pleasure to have you. We'll see you all next Saturday. Bye-bye. Uh, I don't, I don't, I just, I, thank you. I'm a genius. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.